Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. I'm your host, Madison Pollock, Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, integrative nutrition health coach for cancer survivors after treatment, and host of this wonderful podcast. This week's guest is Lauren Gilly. Lauren is the mom of resilient Ruby, who's a two-year-old hepatoblastoma survivor. Ruby ended treatment on May 8th, 2021, and turned two years old the day after we recorded this episode. Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. Hi, Lauren. How are Hello. you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm so good. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to chat with you, too. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And I'm, like, so excited for you to share your story. We've had one other mom of a cancer patient on. I think you're just our second one. Um, and you're the mom of Ruby, who is turning two tomorrow is that right he is yeah she's turning two years old tomorrow that's so, it's a so big day. amazing that's so incredible and I'm so happy you reached out um I'd love for you to start with I guess what Ruby's diagnosis was and kind of like where she's at in the process yeah sure so uh yeah I'm the mom of, of Ruby we call her resilient Ruby and last summer um she was 15 months old and just mm-hmm. a regular kid or toddler She is my husband and I's first child, so we were kind of in the new parent phase. We didn't know what we were doing, and everything was new. Um, And so halfway through the summer, we started to notice a few different symptoms that we kind of just thought were teething or going through something developmentally, because like I said, we're first-time parents, so we had no kind of reference at all. Right. What were the symptoms? And then there was two instances, and once was after she ate a whole bunch of sand and she puked but that was very like abnormal for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second time she threw up in her bed after she ate dinner one night, which is also very mm-hmm. abnormal. So at the time we were like, okay, well, kids throw up. That's no big deal. Totally. And yeah. at the time too, it was like mid COVID. It was the height of COVID. We're in Calgary, Alberta, mm-hmm. Canada. So things have been a little bit different here in terms of restrictions. And so last right. summer was still pretty COVID heavy. And so we hadn't seen our family doctor. And in the first year of life, usually you see your doctor with your child and they do well baby checks, they do vaccinations, they're seeing them. And that was all postponed. And so we hadn't seen our family doctor and we kind of knew like, oh, Ruby's a small kid. That's what Mm -hmm. we thought. Like Mm -hmm. she was eating a full avocado every day among other things, but she just Mm -hmm. wasn't gaining weight. And we just thought, okay, well, some kids are small and that's Mm -hmm. Ruby. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and she hadn't gained weight in almost six months. Mm. So come September, my husband went back to work. He's a teacher. So school was back in for the first time in months. Um, and I was starting to get back to work. And we decided to put Ruby mm. in daycare for the first time. She was 15 months old. And she went to daycare for two weeks. And we were also told, when you send your kid to daycare, they're going to get a lot of bugs. They're going to catch things. Like, they're exposed to germs they've never oh, been exposed course. to. Right. So be prepared. Your kid's going to get sick. Right. So we were totally prepared for that. And also, we were still a little bit apprehensive about COVID. So mm-hmm. at the end of her second week of daycare, she just, like I do, she just wasn't acting herself. Mm-hmm. and something was off she was being super cuddly which isn't actually ruby she's not a cuddly kid <laughs> she was being really cuddly um she was just acting like she was sick and so my husband and I were kind of like okay well let's just monitor this tonight and we'll reassess about it in the morning mm-hmm. so then that night it just escalated and she had a little bit of a fever she wasn't eating she wasn't drinking anything she had a terrible reckless uh, restless night 
And so then the next day we were like, okay, she hasn't really drank anything, which was my major concern. I thought she was dehydrated. And honestly, we thought she had COVID. So we were like, okay, we better take her to urgent care and get her checked out because now we need to alert the daycare that she's only beaten for two weeks and it has to be this whole big process. So let's just go get her checked out and at least have some peace of mind or next steps. So right before we left, my husband was like, oh, feel Ruby's tummy. It feels weird. Mm -hmm. And so I went over and I felt her tummy and it did feel weird. There was like a hard lump in it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's strange. Um, Good thing we're going to the hospital to get Mm -hmm. it checked out. But as I was packing my bag, honestly, I had this thought like, hmm, I I think I need to pack some clothes and the iPad and some food. You have like an instinct. Yeah, Mm. I think you need to pack for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So we hopped in the car and we lived super close to the hospital. We arrived to the hospital. Um, We were like put in a COVID isolation room because that's what they thought maybe too. Mm -hmm. Um, And as soon as the doctor felt, after a very long wait, as soon as the doctor felt her tummy, she said, okay, I think we need to send this for an ultrasound. It's probably like maybe she's constipated or it's an obstructive Mm. bowel. And again, Ruby was 15 months old. Oh, so, so she little. couldn't tell us. She yeah. had, she couldn't tell us. She she was very it was very apparent to us that she wasn't feeling herself. Right. But she couldn't tell us like I feel so tired. Hard. I feel hot. It hurts right here. She mm-hmm. was not talking. She had just started not walking. crying or anything. No, not like she was crying because she was being poked and prodded at the hospital yeah, right. and tired. But other than that, no. Um and so we were trying our best to voice what we thought was going on with also Mm -hmm. having absolutely no medical background and just making our best guess. Mm -hmm. So the doctor um, sent us for an ultrasound and my husband went with her because only one could go with her. And as I was waiting in the room, I just had an overwhelming sense that something was probably wrong. And Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to me, my husband also thought that at the same time, too. He thought that same thing. And we just like, we're not talking to each other about it, because we were trying to be super positive. And this is fine. And we're heading home and be strong for Ruby, too. Yeah. So the doctor came back. And she said, we found a mass on Ruby's liver. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite large. It was Saturday night at this point. Mm -hmm. And their MRI and CT were closed. And so they said, it's too big for you guys to go home like this is something we don't know yet what it is it could be benign it could be this but we're gonna transfer your care to oncology Mm. and you're staying the night tonight and so in a huge whirlwind we were sent upstairs to the unit and for the next two days we waited because um, we live in Canada so the system is a little bit different here and we had to wait for someone to be on and then we had to wait in line um first yeah how does it work I guess what's different there versus yeah well for for starters we all get health care it's in like we pay for through our taxes Mm. so with that is awesome we never leave the hospital with a bill but Mm. the flip side to that is sometimes wait times can be a little bit long yeah and I mean our situation it seemed at the time like it was really long and drawn out between when we got admitted and when we got a CT MRI but hearing so many other stories I mean Mm -hmm. people have had it drawn out for months so in hindsight it really wasn't that drawn out it just felt like it because we were in the hospital with no answers going what the heck yeah so we finally got a CT uh, or an MRI on um on Monday and that's when they told us it's cancer 
We don't know what kind of cancer yet. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be one of two types because it's in her liver. Mm -hmm. And the next thing we need to do is we need to do a CT to make sure it hasn't metastasized anywhere. And then we need to do a biopsy. So when my husband and I heard this, we were just, number one, like so confused. Because when you think about liver cancer or liver issues in general, like my husband and I, probably should have more liver issues than our daughter. Like, we met in university. Yeah, right, right. yeah. We met in university. We really had a great time. And yeah, now they're so telling crazy. us our 15 month daughter has liver cancer. Yeah. So it was really, really confusing at first. Mm-hmm. And there were two different types that it could be hepatocarcinoma or hepatoblastoma. And hepatocarcinoma is a little bit more rare for for kids. Hepatoblastoma is specifically only usually for four and under, but it can be up to 12. It's specifically pediatric liver cancer. So we were waiting for the biopsy, but in the meantime, they wanted to do a a CT of the chest because typically, I guess, with liver cancers in in kids where it usually metastasizes the lungs. Mm. So again, we had to sedate her, wait for another test, hoping and praying and crossing all of our fingers that hadn't metastasized. And then we found out it had. So she had this eight centimeter tumor in her liver and these two smaller tumors on each of her lungs. Wow. And again, like lung cancer, liver cancer as adults. If we had been diagnosed as adults, like our prognosis would not be great. Yeah. And so in our limited understanding of cancer, that's what we were hit with. We were like, okay, you're telling us our child has liver and lung cancer? Right. I know enough to know that that's not good. Yeah. And from there, honestly, we got a crash course in oncology. And we we were sat down in a boardroom with the head of the oncology department. He had wow. a white marker and he went all he drew all over the whiteboard essentially telling us exactly how cancer starts, how it spreads, how chemotherapy works. It was like we were wow. in a science room and it was, was it comp- because so was it because like he wanted to explain to you because of because she was so young like because mm. I feel I like that don't never know. happens. I think I think that is a pediatric cancer specific because okay as parents and in speaking with other parents they have had a similar experience. Oh, interesting. Okay. Also, my husband and I have been heavily involved and have had a lot of questions through this whole process. Like we have, we're not really the type to just sit back and be like, okay, like, sounds okay. good. Yeah. Right. We want to. Yeah, you want to know. Right. Totally. What did they say? Like reasoning. Do you remember? uh, Like, why did she get it? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't. And and they still don't. And the thing about so after the biopsy ended up being hepatoblastoma and hepato and that was like our win. Because hepatoblastoma is a little bit difficult, more difficult to treat. So it ended up being hepatoblastoma. And I remember I was like, I was driving in the car, coming back from our home to the hospital. And Celine, my husband, called me and I literally was like, woohoo, like a, a week before I didn't know my daughter had cancer. And now right. I'm for the type of cancer. For the type is. of cancer. Yeah. It's yeah, it's crazy. Your life just changes in a complete instant. Right. And yeah, so from there, we just became inadvertent cancer experts and got a crash course in something that these doctors go to school for 8, 12, 15 years for mm-hmm. inside of a week. Um, and because it had metastasized to her lungs, she was automatically put in the category of stage four. Mm. And, um, so I I remember we were sitting in the boardroom 
and our doctor was explaining all of this mm-hmm. and he was explaining how rare it is. It's a one in a million cancer. Pediatric wow. cancer. I know. It's, oh my gosh. It, it's really like we've become almost desensitized to it because it's like, oh yeah, it's a one in a million cancer. Hepatoblastoma. Yeah. It metastasized her lungs like it's no big deal, but it's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. So do they huge. have like, obviously she did treatment. Do they have um like a regimen for that since it's so rare? Do, like they know what to do for it? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in when we were sitting in the boardroom, the first thing I said to the doctor is, okay, this sounds really bad. Mm-hmm. Can we do a clinical trial? Are there any clinical trials? Because again, I, I don't know if it's from TV or from my mm-hmm. past experience, but I knew clinical trials make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, can we do a clinical trial? And he looked at me and he said, really? Like, usually we have to sell the parent on a clinical trial. And you're asking right. me right now, can we find one? I said, yeah, well, this sounds pretty unique and rare and I want to find out. So there is, there was a clinical trial and Mm -hmm. that's what Ruby has been on. So there, because it's so rare, um, there's a group out of Cincinnati Mm -hmm. and they are like the hepatoblastoma experts in the world. Mm -hmm. And they've developed a protocol depending on like which staging um, of cancer of hepatoblastoma you have. So because she's stage four, she's classified Mm -hmm. as high risk. And so she was like put into this arm of the trial. Um, So there is a protocol Um, and it's kind of like a flow chart, probably like any, some, like any kind of cancer protocol, like you start here and if this works, then you go here. And if it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. then you go over here. Mm -hmm. And um, so Ruby had her port um, put in like three days after diagnosis and they okay. wasted no time. Unfortunately, through that time as well, she picked up a blood infection in the hospital. Oh. So we had to be on IV antibiotics and stay in the hospital oh for what ended gosh. up to be three weeks. And it was just like salt on the wound, especially during COVID where we couldn't have of anyone course. coming to see us. Right. Um, and, and yeah. You and your husband were able to both stay there though with her? Like, No. So oh, we were okay. able to both be there during the day. But at night, only one of us could stay. And so in order to kind of like tag off and give each other breaks, Mm -hmm. we we were just passing the baton and just going back and forth and having very limited time together unless there was a big conversation to be had with the doctors, which at the beginning was happening very, very frequently Mm -hmm. all all the time. So Mm -hmm. my husband took a leave of absence from work um, and I turned down a contract that I was supposed to start. And we both just decided we need to put all of our energy into our family. Mm -hmm. And the protocol that Ruby started on um, was super, super intense. So Mm -hmm. it was a dose-dense cisplatin and doxorubicin. So Mm -hmm. she was having chemo every single week um, for nine weeks. And she had a six hour infusion of the cisplatin. But prior to that, she had to have six hours of hydration. And after she had to have 18 hours of hydration. Oh, so she was in the hospital that whole time. Every weekend we had to go to the hospital. So after our discharge of like 21 days, we finally go home where we're home for five days before we had to go back. And, And for the first from September up until December, every single weekend we spent in the hospital wow and it was exhausting yeah I remember it was funny because during that time I don't know why I was doing this but I started watching New Amsterdam 
mm-hmm. and it's like a show about doctors and yeah like, I'm spending all of my life in a hospital and I'm yeah. choosing to watch this but PSA it's super cancer heavy in the first season so if like you're okay. not ready for that Good don't watch how did you did you like how did you deal with that did you did well, it help I, you or I think so and I think I became like in, so invested in it that I was like well I can't turn it off now like this yeah. is so um, I'm emotionally charged and I think it was a bit of a coping mechanism to just yeah. like be invested in someone else's oh, emotion for sure. of course <laughs> right? yeah um, but one of the main characters has cancer and his oncologist is explaining like the regimen he's going to go on. Uh-huh. And the oncologist says it's a dose dense cisplatin, which is what Ruby was on. And then That's she described so it to him as a napalm bomb going off in your body and obliterating everything. And I was like, <gasps> oh, okay, okay. That's not good. Oh my gosh, this is my baby. And like Literally our oncologist having explained it like this. But thank you for being real. I'm sure I mean, I feel like that's in the really middle. Yeah. I know, totally, <laughs> totally. And I asked her, and I asked our team, and they said, "Well, they weren't wrong. It's very intense. Like for an right. adult, it would it would put us on our back. But it's mm. true what they say." And I, we kept hearing this, and it became a cliche that was a little bit annoying. But then we just ran with it. That kids are resilient. Kids are resilient, right? Yeah. So we started yeah. calling her Resilient Ruby, and truly watching her go through that first part of treatment where she mm-hmm. was getting she was in the hospital every single week and so were we but we weren't hooked up to IVs mm-hmm. um she was getting extreme dosage of cisplatin and doxorubicin which some people called the red devil which yeah. great again let's put yeah. it into my baby <laughs> yeah and she truly thrived she started wow. to gain weight she wow. started to talk she's just hit all of these milestones that they oh told gosh, us that's incredible. wouldn't happen. They told us she would mm-hmm. need a feeding tube and we were watching it and waiting every week wow. that was doing chemo. And we we're like, okay, is this the week? Right. Okay, is this the week? She didn't even lose all of her hair. Oh it my gosh. Crazy. Wow. So she's truly resilient. She truly is. And so yeah. we, like my husband and I, we kind of right from the beginning, we decided we have to do our best to follow her lead. Like we have all these preconceived ideas of what cancer is, liver cancer and lung cancer especially. Mm-hmm. And we know what the statistics are. And we have all these narratives built up in our head about what cancer looks like from TV or knowing a few people that have gone through it. And mm-hmm. what we have to do is try our best to put those aside and follow Ruby because she's going to yeah. lead us. And our doctor said to us one of those first days, he said, don't get caught up in the statistics. They will mm-hmm. not serve you. Yeah. We are not treating statistics. We're treating Ruby. And yeah. we're here to save Ruby and to cure Ruby. I and love so, that. Right? That's like and so, because every doctor tells you all the statistics. Right. And you're like, that's so unhelpful. And my radiation doctor actually told me kind of a similar thing because I was, I had to choose between more chemo or radiation. Mm-hmm. And radiation, there was a there's a bigger chance of me getting breast cancer down the line. But my radiologist was like, "Don't listen," because I really wanted to do radio. I didn't want to do any more chemo, and he was like, "Don't listen to any of the st- statistics. It's either a zero or a hundred percent chance." Yes, that's exactly you. what I said too. Yeah, which was so helpful. I was like, "You're right. All right, I'm doing radiation." Like, it's so it, it's so helpful. It's everyone's so body helpful. is so different. So different, and that's when you realize too 
it's every everyone is so different and so mm-hmm. it's really unfair to put I understand where they're coming from they have to mm-hmm. make best judgment calls based on certain things but as mm-hmm. a patient or as a parent yeah. you need to keep some positivity and hope that it's working and right. that you're doing this for a reason mm-hmm. so that's something that we've kind of just like led us through this is that we're not treating statistics we are treating ruby and we're yeah. going to follow her lead so they can tell us all they want that she's going to need hearing aids or a feeding mm-hmm. tube or not want to do anything and we can prepare for that and we can and we can be open to that Mm-hmm. But if she gets up in the morning and she wants to go play and she wants to go for a run, which is what we started to see happen, wow. then we're going to follow her lead and we're not going to let, oh, well, you have cancer. Oh, well, you're dealing with cancer. Right. right. Let us hinder that because she was showing us, hey, I can do this and I'm doing okay. Um, and the first round of chemotherapy worked super well. She responded mm-hmm. really, really well. It was such a tough slog to go every weekend and to not have our friends and family around because of COVID. That was another question I wanted to ask, like, yeah, because you couldn't, I'm assuming you couldn't see anyone because of her, obviously you're going to the hospital, but her immune system. Yeah. Yeah. So we, my parents don't live in the same province as we do and Salim's parents and family does, but even Mm -hmm. still, it didn't really matter. We had to keep a distance. What we actually did though is, so my husband and I were supposed to get married last May, Mm -hmm. but COVID had us cancel our wedding five weeks before we were supposed oh to get gosh. married. Yeah. And so then we postponed it to this year, 2021. And when Ruby was diagnosed, again, perhaps a little bit of a coping mechanism, but when Ruby was diagnosed, and honestly, we didn't we didn't know what it was gonna mean, like stage yeah. four liver cancer. We had no idea. Yeah. Um, and it became really important to us to get married. Mm-hmm. So we put together a wedding in three weeks and we asked our team, we said, Hey, do you think we can do this? And they said, do it now before her counts totally tank right. after like nine cycles of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Now is the best time. And our primary nurse actually said to us, I think the love in the room will be healing for Ruby. So yeah, you yeah. should do it. Oh, I love that. So we yeah. were able to have a small group of family and friends. Ruby had had um, her first cycle of chemotherapy. She hadn't lost any hair. She was still in like really good spirits. Um, and we were able to just have like a normal day. Oh, that's amazing. It was amazing. And that was the last time we saw all of our family and friends until right. like a couple weeks ago. So yeah. I'm so, so glad that we were able to do that because it yeah. kind of propelled us through that first three months of really intense, intense, intense treatment. Mm-hmm. And then the goal of those first three months was to get her to resection. So taking out the tumor from her okay. liver. And the okay. hope was that the little um, tumors in her lungs would have disappeared. Okay. Um, because if they hadn't, then it was probably going to be a liver surgery. And kids that have hepatoblastoma, they either have, um, they either have a transplant or a resection. Um, and it's just based on where the tumor is located, uh, if the lung met's clear, if they don't, but I would say like, it's, it's a good 50, 50 split. Like the chances of needing a transplant are really, really high with this disease. So we were grateful that they didn't think that she needed a transplant. Um, although statistically, sometimes Mm -hmm. I remember thinking like, oh, maybe I wish she could have a transplant because statistically those kids seem to do a little bit better but then again that was like a grounding Mm -hmm. moment where we're like okay but that changes the trajectory of your life to a transplant when you're 15 months old right 
So we got to to the date of surgery and she had responded so well to chemo. Um, Her tumor had shrunk by 95%. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I know. It's so crazy in such like a relatively short period of time to see it work so well. Like we could feel the tumor on the outside of her belly. That's what we were feeling when we were going to the hospital. That is and crazy. so to see it ourselves without even having the scans, like we knew it was shrinking because we couldn't feel it anymore. Yeah. Um, it was really crazy, wow, but we didn't know about amazing. the lungs. And um, mm-hmm. we could also see her tumor marker. It's called alpha theta protein. And mm-hmm. that's a specific tumor marker for liver cancer. And so that was decreasing. So all things were pointing us in the direction of, yes, it's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had her tumor resection surgery in December. And they um, prepared us for a full abdomen scar. And they prepared us for like a two-week stay in the ICU, minimum like three or four days. Mm-hmm. Ruby came out of surgery and the surgeons came to us way faster than we were expecting. Like we were waiting and they came to see us. And we were like, well, who's with Ruby in, in, yeah. in the OR right now? Because <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. And there was an adult liver surgeon from the hospital. We're at a children's hospital. So they brought in an adult liver surgeon who works on livers all the time, along with our surgeon. And they said it went so well. It was so it was so quick. Um, it was easier wow. than we expected. We think we got good margins. Our, her her um, scars only across one half of her abdomen. Um, and we didn't even think she needed to go to the ICU because she wasn't intubated. So we're just going to send her because there's a bed ready for her. So you guys just go and you stay there for the night, but we don't think she even needs to. So like to say we were overjoyed was an understatement. I think it was, we finally felt like after three and a half months, we could take a breath and that there was some hope. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then we got to go home for Christmas and we had an awesome, awesome Christmas. And everything felt really good like my my husband looked at me at one point and said I think this is it like we're we're turning a corner and I said I feel the exact same way and as it goes with cancer it's Mm. never really a linear thing and there's more times than not lots of ups and downs so we were Mm. at this high high feeling like okay because after surgery um, we thought there would be three more cycles of clean of chemo to get any of the smaller um, right. particles of disease that don't show up on scans and then done. So that would take us up to like February. Mm-hmm. And then um, two days after um, New Year's, our doctor called us and said, we need to have a chat with all the team. Let's just go over the next steps of treatment. So we were like, OK, no problem. Mm-hmm. We got all together on Zoom because we couldn't do it at the hospital yeah. with all of us so together. <laughs> And we were at home. And so we got all on Zoom and Mm -hmm. our surgeon started by saying, I'm going to let the oncology team start first. And then I'm going to talk because there were some nuances with the pathology report from surgery. And I, my heart sank. And in that moment, I knew, like, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it probably wasn't good. So what had happened is that the pathology report had taken so long to get back because it was Christmas holidays. And uh-huh. like, I'm not going to get upset. People deserve to have vacations. Rightly so. They were on vacation. And we truly, we were living in like ignorant bliss. So it probably worked out for the right, for yeah. the, um, right reasons. You had a we little break. To, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it felt like a crushing oh, thing because we were so high. And then it, we crushed to find out that the pathology report showed 
um, that it, it's kind of weird because with pathology, you're wanting, you're wanting negative margins. Those mm-hmm. are good. Negative okay. margins are good. Positive margins are not what you want. So it's like counterintuitive. I always have to think about that. I hope I got yeah. that right. But um, positive margins meant would mean that they're they didn't get all the cancer, that there was still positive cancer cells around the actual tumor margin that they're taking out. And so a doctor, when he was in there, a surgeon thought he was looking at it and he thought he had a clear resection because you take a little bit of the live tissue around the tumor to make sure you get all the cancer cells. And Mm -hmm. pathology showed that that unfortunately wasn't the case because they had found active tumor in one of the veins. And veins mm. are how things transfer around the body and they can, right. that's how cancer cells can move up to the lungs. And because of that, because they found active tumor still um, in a vein, they didn't, they could not classify it as um, negative margins. Mm. And at that same conversation, we found out that the tumors in our, her lungs, which we had previously thought were not there anymore, on, yeah. were still there. And how did they find? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's still to this day, I'm a little bit unsure about this portion. But I guess with kids, because you know, when you go through a scan, and as adults, we like hold our breath Uh um, to get good um, pictures of the lungs specifically, or even of the abdomen. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids can't do that. So they sedated her, they put her under general anesthetic. But with that, it's totally dependent on like when she's choosing to breathe while she's sedated. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the previous scan, she had been breathing and there was Mm. like a pocket and it looked clear and it wasn't. So it was crushing. It truly was crushing. And we found out from there that we on the protocol, if this happened, you go here. Great. We were on this one. We were on the not great path. And right. that meant six more cycles of chemotherapy, oh my gosh. which would take us up to May. And okay. so to go from three, thinking it's only going to be three, yeah. to thinking now we're now we're doubling that. Yeah, it was just crushing, and it was so amazing to see Ruby after yeah. her surgery. She recovered so so quickly. That's she was amazing. Walking. It's crazy. wow, like it truly is mind blowing. And she was out walking in the snow and going for sleigh rides. And that is amazing. Oh my God. I know. And to see that break of like no chemo and no surgery for the first time in three and a half months Mm -hmm. in a two to three week break, like she just blossomed. And I don't know if she could tell maybe that the tumor was out and she, her appetite was suddenly back. Yeah. She had the color in her cheeks. She was sleeping well. She was so happy just in that yeah. short period of time off treatment. Mm-hmm. So then to think, oh my gosh, yeah, now we have to go she, back. Yeah, just to, to go through it again. How was yeah. she during treatment, like on like the, you know, seventh one or whatever? Like, because you mentioned that after the first one, she did really well. Like, how, when she was more far, farther into it, how did she, how was she? So, Really good question. And it's hard to kind of like quantify because she never told us she was feeling, she started to talk during this time, which was so incredible. Yeah. Like right after yeah, her reception, a couple of days after she said, I love you for the first time. Oh, like, my oh, gosh, my gosh. Stop. I know. <laughs> and so she never complained. She never yeah. puked. She didn't have any of the typical wow. chemo side effect, effects. 
we sometimes we thought maybe she had neuropathy like tingling mm-hmm. in her hands and her feet because she would choose to walk less but she would get home from chemo and literally go for a walk around the block she would be like oh my Let's go gosh so she never wow. had the typical symptoms that we were expecting and we yeah. thought cancer gave you but her blood counts stopped recovering quickly like mm. her they they just tanked her counts and so mm. we did have to go in once for a secondary infection because her neutrophil count was just it was zero um wow. and so her body had a fever and with a port in your body right. that's considered an emergency mm-hmm. um so we did have to do that once but um other than that it was pretty like typical like she has had numerous blood transfusions for both platelets okay. and hemoglobin and when I say numerous like probably 12 to 15 oh my gosh so it became Whoa. very normal for us yeah to like routine have to go in for blood and she got to a point probably I think it was February and we and we always kind of we we tracked her cycles like I'm sure lots of people do so you kind of know oh day seven is usually mm-hmm. when this happens and then it's like this and this chemo makes my platelets worse or this chemo mm-hmm. makes this worse like you kind of get to know it totally and after Christmas after her resection she was on um she was on three new chemos so she was okay. on carboplatin and doxorubicin so I guess that's not a new one but carboplatin doxorubicin and then carboplatin atopicide. So we figured out like a top aside really makes her platelets go low. And mm. so at this day, we'll usually have to go in and we'll have to have a transfusion of platelets and maybe okay. hum- and maybe some red blood cells too. But it got to the point where she was so in tune with her body. She's very astute little girl. Like she's incredibly smart. And I know I'm biased saying that, but she really truly is. And she yeah. would say, no chemo today, mommy, only blood. We're going to go get some blood. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We would go get some blood. That's amazing. I know, right? Kids are so like adaptable, you know? Like adaptable. I guess because they don't have anything to compare it to, right? Like this is like her life and she they live in the present because they like aren't work. Like it's so interesting. It's amazing. It is amazing. But I think what you just said is really interesting too, because she doesn't she's never known a life like this before or other than this yeah so to her this is normal right and that's that's helpful because I mean she can sit on the hospital bed and they just we say three two one and we access her port and it's no big deal mm-hmm. but on the flip side of that that's really sad that I mean, my kid and um, my baby yeah. has to think that's normal right so but I so think it's a, I think it's because kids don't have these built-up narratives of what cancer is exactly. how bad cancer is the fear like right we never really showed fear around her because she right. didn't make us feel like we needed to yeah because she was always just she was always doing way better than we were doing we were not right. doing good yeah <laughs> we were trying to hold it together for her yeah um right. but yeah so she had she had her um after she started chemo um after Christmas, the good part of it was that it was only once every three weeks for two days. And so Mm -hmm. the rest of the cycle, we could be at home. So that was like a huge breath of fresh air because we didn't have to constantly be at the hospital. That was a win. And then we just kind of, kind of just like became your life, right? Like you try Mm -hmm. and make the most of every day and your life is what happens in the in-between of that it's kind of a weird waiting game where you're like okay so it's day six of the cycle and now we have 
14 more to go. Okay, shoot, we have 14 more to go, but yay, we have 14 more to go. Right. What are we going to do? Or you're like, when you're in cancer treatment in the thick of it, you're kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. Uh-huh. I don't know. You're just like you are. For yeah. What's next? Right. right. You're mentally preparing because yeah. it hasn't been great. <laughs> so right. you're like mentally don't want to get out of that like mode of like preparing your mind and body for it. Totally. Or you're even just like, okay, well I want, I'm, I want to wish this away. Right. Like you want to, you hope that it goes by fast, but at the same time, you also know, like I should be grateful for this time. I don't know. It's a really weird dichotomy to feel that right. That waiting yeah. Um, and not yeah. knowing, is it working? Okay, when's my next scan? Let's just wait and see. The wait yeah. and see is just the hardest. It's the um, hardest. And then we started to kind of make some plans. Like our oncologist said to us, okay, mm-hmm. if her lung mets don't clear with the rest of the chemo, you guys need to decide what to do. We can either go aggressively after them with surgery, or we can continue to wait and see if the chemo works. Mm. there's no wrong answer but it's up to you guys so my husband and I were tasked with becoming experts in this and trying to figure out okay what do we want to do they there's no bad decision but what are we going to be okay with as parents because every single point through this whole process in the back of our head we were always thinking okay I mean, we have to make these decisions to save Ruby's life. That's where we're yeah. at right now. Yeah. But I hope she'll think that they were the right ones. Mm-hmm. I hope when we have to sit her down when she's 12 and she starts right. asking about babies and we have to tell her that she might not be able to have one, I hope mm-hmm. she'll forgive us for that. I hope yeah. she'll be okay if she loses her hearing from the from the chemotherapy. And mm-hmm. you know, like you have to make these calls. You, ju- you do, especially yeah. as pediatric like you don't have a choice you can't opt out of treatment but as a parent whose child also can't speak for herself you are their voice it's really hard yeah you're hoping that every decision is the right one Mm -hmm. and so when we were told there is no right answer just decide if you want to do aggressive lung surgery or wait if you want to see the chemo we're like what the heck yeah and how can we make this does like someone just tell us we, yeah. we are tired. We are emotionally distraught. We are like living in trauma and grief 24 seven. Like, do we have the capacity to make this decision either? I don't know. Um, but they couldn't, they couldn't tell us because yeah. it was our decision to make. And that's when I kind of started to see, okay, who else out there in this world has gone through this specific thing? Because this mm-hmm. is so rare. I don't know anyone in our city no one at the hospital currently um it's covid so meeting people is tough but maybe Mm -hmm. there's a benefit to that maybe people maybe people are congregating somewhere and I don't know where they're at yeah so I need to find people that know exactly this because I mean there's a commonality with cancer if someone's gone through cancer that you autumn and you have too like there's you just can't understand it unless you've been through it right yeah so true Mm mm-hmm But when you're dealing with a rare disease or any disease, talking to someone who exactly knows, like exactly knows, there is comfort way more in that. 100%. Yeah. And so I started to look online and on Facebook and I found these parent groups Mm -hmm. and they became a huge resource. 
and a huge point of comfort because when you're dealing with a rare disease like hepatoblastoma, it just doesn't have the funding behind it. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for these doctors in Cincinnati who have devoted their lives to it because it literally is saving Ruby's life. Yeah. But they, the reason that they are, have gotten their funding and are doing so well in large part is because of this huge machine of parents that mm-hmm. have been pushing and advocating. Mm-hmm. Um, and childhood leukemia, for example, they have a 98% um, cure rate now, which is wow, like, really, isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Wow. It truly is. However, it's a three year process to get yeah. there. And that yeah. is, it's tough. It's, it's incredible because it's 98%. It's such a long road, but the reason yeah. we're there is because leukemia, had, childhood leukemia has had a ton of funding put into it. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible that it's, it's gotten to that place. There's a saying, yeah. in, in pediatric cancer, like more than four. Mm. Um, my kid is worth more than four because statistically it's about 4% of funding for adult cancers mm. that go towards 4% of that same amount that go towards pediatric cancer. Wow. Wow. So it's just a huge, huge um, differentiation. Huge, and, yeah. Yeah. And so when I reached out to these parents, and joined these Facebook groups and started communicating with them, I realized, okay, wow, we have this incredible group of people who are advocating, learning, Mm -hmm. and then using this anecdotal evidence and research, which honestly for hepatoblastoma is all we kind of have right now because Ruby is part of the study. We won't know what the outcome of this study is until they decide to publish it however many years in the future. So Mm -hmm. we're behind, we're part of the research, but we're behind it. So right now, kind of all we have is these stories, these personal stories, these anecdotes, these um, parents who are just so willing to share their experiences. Uh-huh. And through the parents is how I found out about these doctors in Cincinnati. And um, they had done a lot of these lung surgeries. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to one of them. And I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to hear back or I'll hear from like an assistant or I'll hear in a couple of weeks or they'll say, call the hospital and book a consult. Yeah. And within 12 hours, I got a response from this doctor wow. who said, thank you so much. I, I actually know about your daughter's story. Oh, my um, gosh. I have a colleague who I sit on a liver board with out of Calgary where we are. Um, I think you need this specific type of equipment for this surgery. I'm going to call your surgeon and we're going to talk about it and we'll get this figured wow. out. Wow. <gasps> like that doesn't happen. That's it, incredible. Incredible. Oh and my think, goodness. To think that there were people that cared yeah. enough about this really rare disease to devote their life to it. And then who were meeting me where I was at with our advocacy. Like I was ready mm-hmm. to fight. I was ready to say like, we need your assistance. Yeah. How can we get your opinion? Like and- knocking on his door. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. And that wasn't needed. So he right. called our surgeon oh, and amazing. our surgeon spoke with him and our surgeon said, yeah, okay, we're going to get this technology to do this surgery. Ruby's going to be the first kid in Alberta in our province to have this surgery with this technology. Wow. And I'm going to call the company that makes this equipment Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell them we need it and to give us it, give it to us on a trial basis because mm-hmm. we need it now. So our surgeon literally called the manufacturing company, got this special piece of equipment for Ruby's surgery, and then 
two days before her surgery, she had scans and her lungs had cleared. So the, the tumors were not there. They did numerous other pictures to make sure it wasn't just like a, a bubble like it was before. Yeah. Um, but so that was, it was like such an incredible win that we didn't need to have surgery. And at the same yeah. time, my husband and I were like, sorry, you went yeah. that work to like get this piece of equipment. And we were going to fund this, like, for it. Like, yeah, I was going to say this like $100,000 yeah. piece of equipment. Yeah. Fortunately, he was able to use it for another kid. So that's say, really, really awesome. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, oh, but I wow. think that that whole experience like just really changed how we started to look at this because we yeah. felt like we really weren't alone. Like yeah. maybe we didn't know all this much about it. Maybe our, our team didn't know a ton about it either. But people were really willing to put their egos aside mm -hmm. um, and to work collaboratively. And I don't yeah. know if that's always the case, to yeah. be honest. Um, and from there, we just felt like a new invigoration. Like, okay, well, we've got people that have our back. Parents, right. we, know, we know if things go sideways, we also know who we can call on. Literally, mm -hmm. we have their phone numbers and we can call them. Yeah. Um, and we've also got this army of parents behind us who for, for the first time are saying, we know what you're going through yeah. and they actually mean it. Yeah. Um, cause and, that's so hard for like new parents. I can't even, I'm sh like, I can't even imagine trying to find, you can't relate to other new parents. Like it's just, like, it's impossible. And parenting in the beginning is like a quite isolating experience as it mm -hmm. is because you mm -hmm. go from being pregnant and you take time off work and mm -hmm. maybe there's some like identity shifts that come from that yeah. and then if you're staying home with your child and your partner's at work there's a lot of right. things that have to come with that and even just getting out the door is yeah. like a huge thing yeah you have and lots of things you have to bring with you <laughs> totally and my husband and I were really fortunate and it was kind of fluky but we had tons like I'm talking like 10 different couples mm. that were good friends of ours that mm. all had babies within a couple months of us wow so we had this like built-in baby crew who yeah. they did know what we were going through like I texted the moms all the time like is your kid yeah. doing this is this normal we don't we're all going through this together right and then suddenly everything had been the same with this group mm -hmm. and suddenly we're in this crazy offshoot mm -hmm. where no one knows what to say. No one yeah. knows what to do. People are asking, how can we help? And we don't even know what to tell them. Yeah. Can you say, like, well, we, how can you help? You can hope this goes away. I you know. There's like nothing. Energy, right. You can send us an Uber card. Thank yeah. We're so <laughs> grateful for, but like, that's not of course. The problem, right. right. Yeah. There's no like solution that you can, you know, have them yeah. give you, which is really hard. And I'm sure it's hard too because like their kid like you don't want to of course like you're happy for them but you don't want to hear how like their kid is doing so amazing you know what I mean like that sounds horrible I, uh, <laughs> no it doesn't because I 100% know what you mean yeah. and that was a really difficult part yeah. is that all of these friendships their lives are continuing their kids are yeah. continuing right and they don't have to have these hard discussions they don't have mm -hmm. to have these conversations and when she was first diagnosed I honestly thought to myself if this doesn't go the way that we mm. want it to go how am I going to look at all of these kids for the rest of my life yeah how we've grown oh, up I, with them and they right. will get to live this life 
And so mm-hmm. for probably the first six months, that was, I didn't, we didn't know how to even reach out to our friends. And I don't mm-hmm. think that they even really like knew how to reach out to us. Like everyone was doing their best and we are yeah. so, we had such an incredible support. Yeah. But the only people we, we were living in the hospital and yeah. the only people that really, truly understood what we were going through were mm-hmm. there with us yeah. in the hospital and they were the nurses and they were the doctors yeah. you kind of build this like weird relationship because you're seeing them more than you're seeing your family and your friends so they become your support system like our social worker had mm. be, has become one of our like best friends through this journey and yeah. now we don't know how to not be friends with her because we're not right actually friends. it's like a professional <laughs> right. relationship <laughs> um but yeah so seeing seeing all these friends um just get to kind of like live their normal life and 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 their really hard their life it was really mm-hmm. hard I don't think it was until Ruby was declared te- officially in remission after her lungs were clear and her yeah. liver was clear that I started to be like okay I think there's gonna be another side of this and I it's well there's mm-hmm. there's inevitably going to be another side we're always get there is we're gonna come out of this one way or another but mm-hmm. I think we're going to come out of this together. And I yeah. think Ruby's actually going to be okay. Yeah. And that's when we started to really kind of like reach out to our friends again and mm-hmm. want to talk to them and, and start to really post more pictures of Ruby and start mm-hmm. to talk about our experience. That's what I, that's when I decided, okay, it's really unfair of me to put this expectation on to the people in my life that they should know what's going on when mm-hmm. I'm not sharing it with them. I'm not sharing anything because yeah it's hard. And what's hard is having like 16 different text message conversations or phone conversations about the same thing. Right. That's what's hard. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like sharing it. And then, which is amazing. Again. All the people reaching and out. Again, like, so totally. Right. Then yeah. you're like, Oh, like you don't want to, it's hard to talk about. Like you don't want to explain it a million times, but if they don't reach out, then you're like, why didn't they reach out? Yes, that's <laughs> exactly it. Right. Yeah. And I also cancer it sucks to talk about. So I also understand my logical brain knows maybe mm-hmm. not everyone wants to hear about that. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, screw them. This is my yeah. reality. <laughs> exactly. So I don't want to hear about it either. I wish. Right. And so that's when I kind of started to share a little bit more on um, like social media and Instagram uh-huh. and stuff. And I started to think, okay, if this is a platform where I can reach everyone I know, and mm-hmm. if they have questions, they can come ask me. Because we're we're a pretty open book, but they we can't expect people to know what even questions to ask, yeah. right? If we're not mm-hmm. really sharing things. So I started sharing and I started sharing like the good, the bad, the ugly. At that point, yeah. most people didn't even know that she was classified stage four because mm. when you as soon as you say, Oh yeah, my daughter Ruby has cancer, a lot of people's inclination, probably mine prior to, is like, oh what type, what stage? And then automatically yeah if you hear stage four lung and liver cancer, you're like, Oh gosh, that's right. not good. Right. You already yeah. have a preconceived notion. So we didn't want people to have that. Mm. We, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but we started to just share from an education perspective. Mm-hmm. Like this is like kind of like not from an emotional component, but mm. these are the facts. This is, Ruby's had over 70 hours of chemotherapy. This is what a day of chemotherapy looks like. Her mm-hmm. blood counts are down. Now we have to go in for a transfusion. This is a day in our life. Yeah. Um, we started, I started to share about 
the actual like stats of hepatoblastoma. I started to share about the uh, the names of the chemotherapies, mm-hmm. the side effects of them, what they were doing, how other kids were having this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to get a lot of good feedback from people who yeah. were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing. This is really fascinating that yeah. you are open enough to share this with us. And that is when I felt a lot of comfort mm-hmm. because suddenly I didn't have to share this via text or calls with everyone but everyone knew and if they had questions then they could ask and it was the questions that people were asking were not like how's Ruby doing because they knew that answer it was like yeah oh so when so when this happens why does this happen and Mm. and how come this happens and I'm like perfect let's talk about it like that was great let's normalize it a little bit because yeah inherently this is Ruby's life for the rest Mm -hmm. of her life and if we make a little bit of an effort to normalize and to just have it be a part of our story in a very factual based way then Mm -hmm. it won't be weird the kids will say oh yeah there's Ruby and Ruby will lift up her shirt and say look at my scar this is where I had cancer and they'll go cool okay sounds good and they'll go on their way that's my hope at least yeah Um, but if we know it's so true world right and make it like you don't have to fear asking me about cancer Right. It sucks. And we can both acknowledge that this really sucks. Yeah. But it's also okay to have questions. Yeah, to totally. Yeah. Yeah. People are very scared to ask details. Like whenever, I don't know, I meet someone new or something like they, they're like, do you mind if I ask like what type? I'm like, no, I mean, I have a podcast. Like I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. I think just, I mean, of course people don't know how to, react to it but it's like normalizing it and making it not because sometimes it can feel like shameful too 100 percent. yeah I can feel a little bit like shameful sometimes for some reason because no one wants to be like the odd one out right or like the downer of the group that has cancer or the downer exactly <laughs> or the downer yeah <laughs> exactly like, oh shoot we can't do this because like ruby had cancer yeah. Like how terrible is that? But people, right. there is shame. And I think there's, mm-hmm. there's fear too, but what people don't realize, and I know this isn't everyone's cancer experience, but from our mm-hmm. perspective, what was really shocking for me mm-hmm. was that there was so much life to be lived in between all yeah. the appointments and stuff. Right. It yeah. It wasn't like you get cancer, your life is over when you're mm-hmm. diagnosed and you slog through this all like obviously there's difficult days mm-hmm. and there's happy days and there's happy moments and it was like quite a it was a mind fuck to think that yeah and joy and grief yeah. can like be side by side because people would look at us and be like well this is the worst case scenario how are you guys or this is what I would think how are you guys out sledding how are you out having yeah. fun like shouldn't you be sad and sometimes right. I felt like that, like we are cheating on grief by mm-hmm. being happy right now because mm-hmm. this is a really shitty situation and we need to be sad about it. Mm-hmm. And so working through this whole process has made me realize that you can be both. Yeah. And cancer doesn't have to be an everyday, every minute, absolute terrible situation. There's totally. going to be good moments through that too. Mm-hmm. And showing people that it it's like that and giving a little bit more of a realistic lens rather than just what's on TV yeah. or whatnot, I think is really important. It's so important. I completely agree. Like, 
most, I mean, like most people that, so I felt totally fine, like in between chemos besides like the three days after treatment. Right. But I had two weeks and, or every other week was treatment or whatever. But I like felt fine. And a lot of people that had Hodgkin's also felt that I've talked to felt fine. Of course, some, a lot of people yeah. don't, <laughs> of but, um, but yeah, like when I was first diagnosed and they told me I had to do chemo, I was like, so I'm going to be a vegetable for five months. Like, that's what I thought. And it's not like that at all. Um, I got some weird, you know, looks cause I was bald, but like, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, I agree that it's like, it's not a death sentence, you know, it's, it truly is not. And yeah. And not, I totally recognize that not everyone thinks of this experience like this. And mm-hmm. I'm always very cautious too, because I speak like it's my experience. And at the end of the day, this is actually Ruby's experience. And if mm-hmm. ever down the road, she's like, mom, I don't want you to talk about cancer anymore. Or mm-hmm. I want you to call that Maddie girl and get that podcast down. <laughs> I will do that. Because I got you, Ruby. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so not my experience to share for her whole life. But right mm-hmm. now, because she's so young and because this was a family experience for us right now, yeah, I found it really yeah. cathartic and Absolutely. helpful to share and to learn from other people in mm-hmm. just like a realistic but not scary way. That's how I found your podcast, right? Like it's mm-hmm. important to have these conversations mm-hmm. in a way that's not just terrifying and statistic based. Right. And shows that life still exists through a cancer experience and yeah fundamentally it's changed us all right it's Mm -hmm. to our core I'm sure anyone that's gone through this that you are a different person than you were before absolutely but it can be empowering too Mm -hmm. and you can come out the other side and think wow look at all these bright spots through all those really really difficult times too yeah and so Ruby has finished up all her chemo. She finished oh, May 8th. Amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Had, thank you. It was over, I think it was 80 hours, 70 or 80 that hours. That is, chemo. oh my God. And that little body. And now is she right. like, how is she now? So she, um, she's doing amazing. Since the oh. time she was diagnosed um, to right now, she's gained over six pounds, which for a little kid is like a lot. And she yeah. didn't gain one pound for the six months prior to her diagnosis wow so it just likely she's been she had been living with cancer all or most of her life which is just like a really tough fact to reconcile but to see how Mm. much how far she's come both physically and developmentally since she's been diagnosed like this is such a highly Mm. developmental period of time she learned to walk in the hospital literally that's where she learned to walk wow and then in her last admission she was like running around in her little shoes and and she's grown up she's grown up over the last time she has gone from saying like Matt and da to saying mommy let's have a chat today she's her vocabulary stop oh my god that's the cutest thing ever she knows her port is coming out next week and she's really really excited oh that's so exciting and it's her birthday tomorrow and so amazing her scans last week showed that she is in complete remission wow Um, it's the best absolute best case scenario Mm -hmm. we could ask for at this point um and we know that 
textbooked statistics tell us that there is a very high chance of relapse for um, cases mm. like Ruby. So she will have scans every three months for probably mm-hmm. the next two years and her um, blood drawn for her AFP tumor marker. And that's what we have to do in the in-between. And that is, yeah. again, a case in point. Like, okay, we've got three months till the next scan. Yeah. We get to go live. Yeah. We get to live outside the hospital. Right. And enjoy Ruby being a kid. We went to the playground last week with friends. Oh, and amazing. she was just... Like she was wanting to do what they were doing because she hasn't even really been around any kids through all this, right? Yeah. She doesn't know what right. it's like to play with kids. Mm-hmm. So they were doing something like walking up the stairs and she looked at me and she said, Ruby wants to go up the stairs. I'm like, I've <laughs> never done that before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, you can see that she she truly feels better. She truly, yeah. truly feels better. Um, um, by the end of it, chemo was taking its toll on all of us. It mm-hmm. was getting harder. We were have to doing having to do those daily um, injection shots called GCSF mm. to um, stimulate the bone marrow so that she could mm. recover between cycles, because all in all she had um, with the dose sent cycles she had three cycles but there was three doses in each so nine okay. and then she had six cycles post resection so like mm. she's had a, a lot of yeah. Chemo. Yeah. Um. And her hair inevitably did fall out by the end. She she was born with a full head of hair, and so okay. maybe for most kids, the hair wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But she had like a little Dora the Explorer. Oh, yeah. And it, she's still got a few pieces that are hanging on by a thread, and her oh. hair's actually already started to grow. I was back, gonna say, cool yeah. To say. yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see. Oh. Um, but she just gets to be a normal kid now, and That's we amazing. get to go have an awesome summer and it's going to be scary in September because it'll be a year almost to the day probably that we have the scans again yeah the day of her diagnosis and it'll be all the same things like she'll be going back to daycare my husband will be going back to work Mm. I'll be going back to work so I can already sense that there's going to be some trauma around like the reminiscing of the time which like probably with anniversaries people with cancer or anything like that anniversaries can be big yeah yeah and we'll have scans and we'll hope for the best and we'll just continue trying to find that balance between the realistic um but not letting that not not having us live there all of the time we don't want to we want to acknowledge that yeah okay statistically that can happen right and we we're not going to be naive about it but we're not going to live there we're going to mm-hmm. live in the joy. We're going to live in the fact that she's learning to talk, that she's turning two tomorrow, that she wants to play with dolls and become a ballerina. That's where we're going to live. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. Right? Yeah. It's so incredible. And I'm so, so happy for you. And like, Thank happy you. birthday to Ruby. Thank um, you. It's so amazing. And do you have plans, like, in terms of like sharing your story more or like, it sounds like you're like in these Facebook groups, like have you and your husband talked about anything like that? Or you want to just like be out of it for a little bit? Um, I think my husband and I might have different answers to that question. Okay. Um, but for, <laughs> I think, I think for him, um, like he loves to support me and what I, in what makes me happy. And yeah. I was in events and fundraiser for, for 10 years before Ruby was diagnosed. Oh, so as soon okay. as Ruby was diagnosed, 
I was like, we are fundraising for the hospital. We're going to have a raffle. We're going to do this. I created some shirts that we sold. I, we did a whole, like probably wow. too much. Like it was definitely a coping. So you did. Yeah, you did it all. We raised a lot of money. <laughs> we did raise a lot of money. Good for you. That's amazing. And um, I think we'll put those projects to rest for a little bit because they've been quite yeah. labor intensive. And I just want to focus on having, um, enjoying our time as a family. But yeah. with the hepatoblastoma community, there was actually a conference a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and um, it was done on Zoom. Usually it's in person. It just started in 2016, the Hepatoblastoma Resource Network. It was started by mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. and um, they do advocacy and fundraising and they have made huge impacts. Like it's not, wow. I don't take it lightly that the parents who started this, they lost their daughter to hepatoblastoma. Mm-hmm. And it's because of that. Mm-hmm. that Ruby is getting this chance. Like I just don't right. think that lately at all because in everything we talk about, I think it's really important to recognize that um, not everyone gets to the place that we're at. Yeah. And, um, and we don't take that lately at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, maybe it sounds like I talk a little bit like pessimistic about some things or uh, too optimistic about other things. But at the end of the day, like the fact that we're here is yeah. a miracle. And we're so grateful because 10 years ago, the prognosis for someone like Ruby mm-hmm. was vastly, vastly different. Five years ago, it was. Right. So these parents have taken their grief and they've made something really incredible out of it. And truly, they brought together the top experts in the world and these and these parents who can all relate. And so mm-hmm. we had a virtual conference a couple weeks ago. And um, it was on a Saturday and all of these top researchers from Dana-Farber in Boston, from Cincinnati, from St. Jude's, there was a 30-year cancer survivor, hepatoblastoma cancer survivor, who thought she was the only one because she couldn't, there was no no one like her. Oh my gosh, yeah. And she works in oncology at St. Jude's as a nurse. Wow. And she has two kids. Oh. And that. Oh my goodness is the hope that's the hope for all of us parents yeah but to sit on a Saturday and have these people brilliant minds from all around the world come Mm -hmm. together and share with us the parents who are also all around the world it there's a sense of community with this disease that I think is really rare and I think we're really lucky in our community Mm -hmm. to have that yeah because I feel like I've got a hundred friends around the world right now who that's amazing are literally going through what we are and I yeah. sat in a breakout room someone was from um Iran someone mm-hmm. was from Israel someone mm-hmm. was from Mexico and then there was people from Georgia and a couple other states and then me in Canada mm-hmm. and whatever was going on around us in the world at that right. time whatever Didn't time matter. of day it was yeah we were all brought together talking Mm -hmm. about our kids and trying to come up with things that might help each other or just support each other. And it was the most beautifully empowering connected that I felt throughout this whole thing. Yeah. So we're going to have an in-person conference next year in Boston. I've already said, I'll plan it. Yeah. I will be there. Yeah. Um, And I, and so I think where I see like our, impact or as a family Mm -hmm. is whatever Ruby wants to do Mm. whatever Ruby has taught a lot of people a lot of Mm -hmm. things about life and what's important and put 
ton of stuff in perspective because Mm -hmm. this past year hasn't been easy for anyone. I think everyone in the world has had a difficult time. Yeah. Um, But watching a little girl be diagnosed at 15 months and grow up throughout this last year with COVID in the world, with cancer in the world, and Mm. still wake up every morning with just pure joy that is the definition of resilient it's it's not really letting what you've gone through impact the rest of your life it's honoring Mm -hmm. it and 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 I think that that's where I think she's going to do awesome incredible things honestly I again I know I'm biased but no I she's here for a reason and I think yeah she's here to do some incredible things and I can't wait to watch her do it can't yep. wait to be along for the ride with her. I can't wait. Like, I can't wait to watch. I mean, I don't doubt it at all. I think everything happens for a reason. And I don't know how this experience wouldn't affect, like, impact her in a positive way down the line, you know? Like, I'm, I hope so. I hope so. I think, and if, I think so, if anything, for sure. it's just, it's taught me. It's been the biggest lesson in our lives, me and my husband. And she has been the biggest blessing and the biggest lesson totally puts things into perspective and like yeah so it's so amazing and if people want to like follow you and ruby's like path and everything can they follow you on instagram or where's the best place to like find you or if they have questions or anything absolutely i'm i am totally an open book and especially if anyone knows anyone that needs to paddle blastoma resources or um pediatric cancer or just how to advocate find different avenues for rare diseases I'm such an open book um and Ruby's Maybe. really cute too so she is um, really she's cute. worth the follow <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm on Twitter and Instagram at lore l-a-u-r underscore gilly g-i-l-l-e-y so it's both the same and yeah you can follow me on amazing there. amazing and I'll put that in the episode notes so everyone cool. can easily find it um thank you so much Lauren I'm like so happy for you and your family and Ruby and oh thanks Maddie thanks keep us posted yeah of course thank you for reaching out I'm like so happy to be able to share this story thank you I really really appreciate it it was nice chatting with you you too yes thank you so much please keep in touch absolutely thank you I'll talk to you soon okay bye bye Thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happens before, during, and after cancer. Hosted by me, Madison Pollock. Follow along for updates and guests on Facebook and Instagram at Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast.